the gospel changes everything. When a person truly experiences the gospel, they are never the same again. In fact, the Bible says that when a person experiences the gospel, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they are a new creature. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. New life has begun. The gospel changes everything. And last week we took some time to get clear, crystal clear on what the gospel is. And I gave you a simple definition. Now we're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. I would encourage you to find your spot there in chapter 1. We'll be there in just a moment. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and it talks about the gospel. And we see the gospel came to those believers there in Thessalonica. And we want to be clear on what it's talking about when it says the gospel. Because we're called to respond to the gospel and share the gospel and to go with the gospel. And so what is the gospel? Because some people do not know what the gospel is and what it's all about. I gave you a simple definition I came up with based upon what the Bible teaches. And I told you we can keep tweaking a definition and keep working it. But this is just a simple, basic definition. The Gospel is the good news concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, whereby sinners through repentance and faith can be forgiven and love and know God. It's a relationship with God that only takes place through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we experience the new birth, we are never, ever the same. Now, many of us can testify to that personally. You remember, it may have been a long time ago. It may have been recent days. You remember when you came to faith in Christ. You remember that you were under conviction, maybe, and, and, and God was dealing with your heart, and you realized that you needed Jesus, and you called out to Him in faith, and He saved you. And he took away your sin. And he gave you a peace and a joy and a hope that you've never had before. And he made you a new person. And he's working in you and working through you and working on you to make you more like Jesus. We can testify personally concerning that. I responded to the gospel as a nine-year-old boy in my home church. I told you some of that testimony, I think it was last week. And we know that we can personally testify to it. But we can also look to the scripture, to God's word, and see the lives of those people in, in the Bible who responded to the gospel. Now, as we're looking at 1 Thessalonians, we find ourselves this morning beginning at verse 4, all right? But we're going to back up and begin reading at verse 1. We'll read the entire chapters, just 10 verses, and we'll kind of focus our thoughts there on verses 4 through 6, all right? Paul, Savanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Verse 4. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has founded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, 
Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now I want you to notice here that the gospel came to these people in Thessalonica. But I want you to notice first of all this morning how the gospel came. How the gospel came. Can I just go ahead and tell you that the gospel came to these folks in Thessalonica because God sent it to them. Now he used messengers, but he made sure that his message arrived and was delivered in this place. Now some people get nervous when they get to verse 4. Because verse 4 has a word that makes some people very uncomfortable, and it's the word election. Knowing, beloved brethren, did you see it there? Your election by God. Now, they're not nervous because of Biden or Trump or whoever else might run next year. Boy, aren't you looking forward to that over the next little while? No, it's not our election as as Americans that make them nervous when they see that word because when they start looking at this word, they realize that this election by God here speaks of God's sovereignty. That is that God is in control and that God uh, elected people who would be saved. And people get upset because they say, well, I can't understand it, I can't explain it, I can't grasp it. They have a hard time with this whole idea of divine election. Some want to deny it. Some want to explain it away. Some want to try to minimize it. But the truth remains, the Bible talks about divine election. It talks about divine sovereignty. So the question is, what do we do with it? I mean, it's just right here. It talks about the election by God. I know one professor said it this way, try to explain election and you may lose your mind. But try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. So what do we do with this whole idea of the election, divine election? Well, we see it taught here in 1 Thessalonians. We see it taught in other places. Put these references down. If you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. For we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We see it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So what do we do with this whole idea about divine election? Now we're going to talk about human responsibility in a moment, but what do we do with this whole idea of divine election? That is that God chose people to be saved. Well, we accept it, we believe it by faith, we don't have to understand it. We don't even have to be able to explain it. It may make us want to lose our mind. By the way, you look at church history, they've been dealing with this for year upon year and they still haven't come to a good solution and a good agreement. But I don't have to understand it to believe it. Listen, I don't understand fully how electricity works. I don't. Um, I can go to a box and I can see a bunch of wires and I don't understand it. But I tell you what, I'm not going to stick my hand in that box of live wires. Because I believe in electricity. I know it's real. I don't have to understand how my vehicle works. I mean, there's so many parts of those things down that make it more complicated every single year. 
Yet I believe it's going to run because they built it and I go ahead and put, you know, I don't even get to put a key and I just push a button now and boom, it comes up and I drive it. See, I don't have to understand it to believe it. And there's so much in the Bible that we may not understand, but we accept it by faith. There are some things, now listen, this will help you as a Christian. This will help you. There are some things when it comes to God and His ways that we are never going to understand. We're never going to understand them. We're never going to understand them. But listen, God is not on trial. Can I just say that again? God's not on trial. And God does not have to answer to us. God is always just. God is always perfect. God is always right. God is always just in all that He does. In fact, Isaiah 55, 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Listen, if you could understand everything there is concerning God, then you would be God. But we're not God. And there's some things we're never going to understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's one of the first verses I experienced when I went to Bible college as a young man. One of the first verses we had to memorize, and I think it was theology course, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You say, well, preacher, explain to me this, explain to me that. And I can't. There's so much I can't explain to you. We may lose our mind trying to even figure it out. I'm not sure it's possible. Things like the Trinity, things like divine election, but we accept them by faith. Like it or not, the Bible teaches it. But listen, it also teaches something called human responsibility. It kind of works this way as far as I understand the Scriptures. God does the choosing, we do the trusting. Say, well, I understand that. Well, I don't either. Jesus mentioned both these things in one sentence. Put this reference down. We see divine election and human responsibility in one sentence that Jesus gave. In John 6.37, listen to it. John 6.37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Notice the Father gives us to him. That's election. And notice we come to him. That's trust. That's faith. It all works together. You say, well, I understand it. I don't either. But we accept it by faith. Warren Wiersbe was correct when he wrote this. The mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility will never be solved in this life. Both are taught in the Bible. Both are true and both are essential. See, we're supposed to go out and give the message. God the Holy Spirit does the work. I think it was old D.L. Moody who humorously said one time something along these lines, and I'm paraphrasing and I may be even attributing it to the wrong person, but I think it was D.L. Moody. He says, you go out and you'll give out the gospel, and if you get somebody saved that wasn't elected, God will forgive you. All right? Our message is to share the gospel. God's working behind the scenes. God is the one who brings the gospel uh, to our hearts and lives and converts us. The gospel came to these Thessalonians because God willed it so, and when it came, it really came. When the gospel came to the believers here, to these people in Thessalonica, it really came. Look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know that what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The gospel came. In fact, verse 5 mentions four things about how the gospel came. It came in word it came in power, it came in the Holy Spirit, and it came in much assurance. Let's just talk about those real quickly. 
First of all, it came in word. Notice it says it did not come in word only, but it did come in word. To put it another way, they were told the gospel. Communication was used to give out the gospel. The gospel was expressed with words. They used words. Years ago, there was something that was very popular called lifestyle evangelism. And if I understand lifestyle evangelism correctly, the whole emphasis in lifestyle evangelism was the fact that we, we want to live right, we want to live Christian lives, and by the way, we do, and our, our lives do matter, and we should live like Christians. But the idea, as I understood it, was that you live out your, your, your faith, you live out the gospel, and eventually, hopefully, people will realize that you're really different, and they'll come to you and ask you about why it is that you're different, and you, then you can share the gospel. That's kind of the gist of lifestyle evangelism. Now, let, let me just tell you, we ought to live out the gospel. If you're going to share the gospel, you ought to be living out the gospel. Our lives should match what we believe, what we say we believe. And people are watching us. And they know that we claim to be Christians and they're watching our lives. Even Paul and his associates here, they mention how they lived among the Thessalonians. Did you notice the end of verse 5? It says in the end of verse 5, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You know that we lived out the truth. We lived out the gospel among you. But I want you to understand this. I don't care how good of life you live, and I hope that you live a, a gospel-filled life. At, at some point, if you're going to share the gospel, you're going to have to use words. They can be spoken words. They can be recorded words. They can be printed words. But at some point, you're going to have to use words to explain the gospel. You've got to talk about the bad news. Now, sadly, this is where a lot of modern-day preachers and evangelists, it seems, that we hear, you've got to talk about things like sin and death and hell. And so many say, well, I don't want to mention, that's negative. That's, we don't, we're, just going to, we're just going to focus on the positive. Listen, you can't get to the positive until you've dealt with the negative. You've got to talk about things like sin and hell and death. And then you move from the bad news to the good news. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Eternal life and heaven and forgiveness and faith and repentance and belief and those sorts of things. You've got to use words. And yes, your life should match that. And yes, you can live in such a way where someone would see you. But if you're going to share the Gospel at some point, you've got to use words. You've got to communicate the Gospel. And the gospel came to these believers in word, but not in word only. It says it also came in power. Did you notice that? It came in power. Now, this is not emphasizing the great oratorical skills of Paul as he preached. I mean, I would love to hear, wouldn't you love to hear Paul preach? But he's not talking about his oratorical uh, skills here, okay? He's not talking about that sort of thing. No, this is talking about the power of God at work. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ has power. As one... Preacher said it has power to change minds, hearts, and lives. We can stammer, we can stutter, we can shudder as we share the gospel. But listen, the power is not in us. God can still save souls. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in the message of the gospel. So I want to encourage you to share it. You say, well, I'm nervous. Well, that's okay. I'm going to stammer. I'm going to stutter. I may not know it. It doesn't matter because you're not the one doing the saving. You're the one doing the sharing. You're just sharing the good news. Just sharing the good news. 
God the Holy Spirit works. It's His power that goes to work because it brings us to the third thing it talks about. It came in the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. Don't refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Refer to the Holy Spirit as Him. God the Holy Spirit. That brings up the Trinity, which is not one of those things where we just lose our minds trying to really fathom God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the great three in one. But God the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. He's God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about conviction in our lives. It's a word we don't use very often, but conviction, that burden of sin. I remember as a young boy before I got saved, I told you last week, I went home the one night and the burden, the conviction's on me and I didn't get saved till the next night. But that realization that I'm a sinner, I'm lost, God the Holy Spirit brings that upon a person. He might be bringing it upon you right now. He's opening your eyes to help you to understand that you're lost and you need Jesus and There's that burden upon you. And God is working in your heart through His Holy Spirit to bring you to faith in Christ. And though Paul and Savanus and Timothy writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit delivered the message of the Gospel to them and they were gloriously saved, it's the Holy Spirit who did the work. We're the messengers bringing the message. God the Holy Spirit must do it. Zechariah says it this way, not by might, not by power, but my Spirit says the Lord. It came to them in the Holy Spirit. And it also came to them in much assurance. That's what the Bible says here. This, we believe, refers to the way in which Paul and his associates preached the Gospel to the Thessalonians. When Paul and them, when they preached, they, they really believed what they preached. They really believed what they were sharing. Have you ever heard anyone tell you something and as they're talking and they're trying to convince you of something, you wonder if they even believe it themselves. I'm just like, that's not the way they preached. They preached it. They lived it. They, they, they lived the gospel by their lifestyle and they preached it with their lips. And we need both. And praise the Lord, the gospel came to the Thessalonians and praise the Lord, it came to us. Now we know the gospel came. We, we see here how it came to them. But verse 6 tells us how... They received the gospel. I'll just summarize it by saying, first of all, they welcomed the gospel. And when they welcomed the gospel, they welcomed everything that came with the gospel. And by the way, a lot came with the gospel. Look at what it says in verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, we already talked about the fact that when a person experiences the gospel, that they're changed, they're made new creatures, new creations, they're a new person. When I'm talking with children and, and, and they trust Jesus, I'll often talk to them about this whole idea of being a new person. I said, you know what? You know, on the outside, you still look the same. I mean, you're, you're still just, a, just as good looking as you were and you're just as... We just, you're you, we, we still know it's you, but on the inside, you're a totally new person. The old is gone, the new has come. You've been forgiven your sin. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit Himself takes up residence. He, he goes to live in your life. We've kind of moved away from heart 
and talking with children a lot because they get confused because they think he kind of lives in their heart there. But we use the word life a lot now just to kind of help to understand. But, but on the inside, you're a new person. You're a new person. And these Thessalonians, they were new in Christ. And, and they experienced a lot of new things. And by the way, when a person comes to faith in Christ, and a lot of us, can I just be honest about it, a lot of us have been saved for so long, we've forgotten what it's like to get saved. I mean, it's a new life. Especially someone who maybe didn't grow up in church. I mean, imagine you've never stepped foot inside of a church and you walk in a church like, what is all this about? This is strange. We're sitting on these wooden benches, listening to a man talk from an ancient book, and they're passing plates around to collect money. If they come on certain days, they give little, little shot glasses of juice and <laughs> stale crackers. I mean, what is all this? I, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But I, I want you to think about a lost person. I mean, this is just what in the world? What are these songs they're singing? I've never heard this. What in the world is all this? But if that person comes and places their faith in Jesus, they're made new. Everything's new. They have a new goal, a new purpose in life, a new purpose, a, a new reason for living, a new reason for getting up. They have a hope and a joy. and Just everything is new in their life. These Thessalonians, they experienced so much new things. Notice, first of all, they had new leaders. New leaders. It says here, Paul writes here, they became followers of us. He's already mentioned Paul, Silvanus, you know him as Silas, and Timothy. He says they became followers of us. You say, well, that, might, that seems kind of odd. Shouldn't it say they became followers of Jesus? Well, keep reading. But, but, but this is not odd at all when it says they became followers of them. Why? Because when someone becomes a new Christian, who are they going to follow? Who are they going to imitate? Those who are Christians already. Those who are further along in the faith. Those Christians that they know. In fact, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just also as I imitate Christ. So they looked at these new People in their lives, they were sharing the gospel and then they respond to the gospel. They begin to follow what Paul is doing, what Silas is doing, what Timothy's doing as they're teaching them, as they're discipling them, they're living like them. And yes, they had new leaders and ultimately they had a new Lord. Because that's where it ends up. Because ultimately we follow the Lord, we follow Jesus, and we see that here. It says there, does it not? You became followers of us and of the Lord. Because when they were following Paul and Silvanus and Timothy and the Christians that were there, they were ultimately being led where? To the Lord. That's what discipleship is. Follow the Lord, follow the Lord, follow the Lord. But as I read this, as I studied this, it got me thinking. And I asked myself, and I encourage you, if you're a Christian, ask yourself this. Am I someone who's worth imitating? Am I someone that a younger believer could pattern their life after the way I'm living and, and they be in harmony with the Scriptures and really be following Jesus? Is that the type of person I am? Is that the type of person you are? Ultimately, we're, we're following the Lord. And we could say, hopefully, the believers behind us, follow me as I follow the Lord. Let me lead you to the Lord. Let me show you the way. They had, a new, they had new leaders. They had a new Lord. And the third one here might actually seem kind of odd, but they had new problems. 
Notice it says there in verse number 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. They welcomed the word. Now watch the next part. In much affliction. What's that all about? Because it seems, does it not, if I'm, going to, if I'm out of harmony with God, I'm, I'm going against God, I'm an enemy of God, and then I repent, which is a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction, a change of behavior, a change in my life, and I go from following idols, as it says here in this passage, to serving the living God, it seems like, does it not, there would be less problems. But the reality is now there's much affliction. Well, what's that all about? Well, when you swim upstream, you're going to face current. Remember, before they met Jesus, they were going along in the world, with the world, for the world, and now their world's been turned upside down. And they're going the opposite direction. You ever been caught in a crowd of people? And most of them are coming against you, and you're going in the other direction, and all you want to do is get out of that crowd? Now you just can't wait. And it's difficult. Why? Because they're coming at you. John 16.33, this is what Jesus said. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Why don't we see those verses on Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers? We don't like to think about that. But the reality is, I mean, it's just obvious. I've told you before, beloved, you come to faith in Christ and you live for Jesus, you probably got more problems than you had before. But here's the beauty of it. You don't face them alone anymore. Because there's something else new they had here. You know what it was? It was new joy. Look at verse 6 again. Man, what a verse. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word how? In much affliction. But here's the interesting part. The affliction part, man, troubles, problems. We see that in their lives. It happened in Acts. We studied that, how this church started. This much affliction. How do you put the rest of that verse on there? With joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. Is it possible to have much affliction with joy? Is that possible? Well, can I just tell you for the Christian, it absolutely is. You can have much affliction with joy. Now, these things seem to be polar opposites. They had affliction with joy. Can, they, can those two coexist? Yes, they can for the Christian. Why? Because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives and the Holy Spirit brings about a joy in our lives. That's how I've been able to go to the bedside of believers who were dying by the grasp their last breath. And there's a sweet joy in their life because they know to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. In the midst of much affliction, we can have joy in the Lord. And it's from the Holy Spirit. This joy can't be bought. It can't be worked up. It can't be manufactured. You won't find it in Walmart. You won't find it on eBay in a resale situation. And you won't even find it in Amazon.com. You won't find it. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. Much affliction with joy. It's only found in Jesus. 
And as Nehemiah 8.10 has it, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Beloved, the gospel changes everything. My question for you today is this. Has it changed you? Have you experienced the gospel? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then for the Christian, is the gospel changing you as you realize that God is still working in your life today? Father, we love you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb, for the resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus who sits at your right hand making intercession for us right now. Our soon coming King and Lord, even so come Lord Jesus. I pray if anybody here has never received you as their Savior, Holy Spirit, work in their heart, convict them, and bring them to faith in Christ today. Lord, help us to be the type of men and women who live in such a way we can honestly say to those who are younger and newer in the faith, Follow me as I follow Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.